0: I wanted the tape show. I mean, I know the tape's gonna show me not choking the kid. I mean, I was glad to have the tape show. My name is Robert Abbott. For me, it all began in 1999, when three former high school All-Americans left Bob Knight's Indiana University basketball program, and my boss at CNN asked me to find out why. This guy was a basketball genius, and discipline was at, at the core of that.
1: Sometimes behind great success, there are things that we'd rather not know about.
0: There was a story about power and the abuse of power. God, you're a in the I think you're constantly playing in fear. You're being intimidated. Guard Neil Reed says he is leading school and it's not his call. I've had an eyewitness saying Coach Knight put his hand around Neil's throat. The basketball program
1: was denying everything. I'm going to tell you my side of this
0: thing. was almost no one in the state of indiana who was more powerful i know there's a tape out there i haven't seen it but i know there is a tape out there we got the video indiana university may ask bobby knight to step down as head basketball coach
1: Good evening, my name is Marty Plum and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. But we are not talking in a coaching clinic format. We are back in the film room for episode number eight, our second to last documentary. And it is another uh, from the catalog of the 30 for 30 catalog or from the 30 to 30 journal here, The Last Days of Night. And I am on with me. I am very happy to have on my friend Carl Pearson from the suburbs of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, Carl, how are we doing today?
0: Doing well. Happy to be with you.
1: Yeah, I am happy to be with, uh, have you on here as well. Uh, we are going to uh, crank through this this uh, this documentary here, a, a longer documentary, almost almost an hour and forty five minutes. I had forgotten how long this documentary was and how deep of a dive uh, the creators took with uh, Bobby Knight's life and and his coaching career and everything that went into it. Here, um, you know, let's just let's just dive in, Coach. Let's just dive in and 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 let it rip. Um, Overall thoughts, Carl, just your overall thoughts uh, after after watching this and jotting down some notes. What are you, what are you thinking?
0: Well, I, I think I'd have to begin by telling all your listeners that I grew up admiring the heck out of Bobby Knight, Yeah. Um, especially as a young coach. I was enamored with Bobby Knight. Uh, I know that I went to watch the University of Minnesota play Texas Tech at... Mm-hmm the barn the, okay. where the gophers play just so i could say i was in the same arena as bobby knight right just to see him yep. on the sidelines and that mm-hmm. was that was a pretty exciting thing for me i even i i, I read a couple books about bobby knight uh, one of them was was kind of interesting it was it was actually two books in one and it, it kind of fits this documentary pretty well because yeah. uh, one half of the book was called good night Yep. and it Talked about all the positive things that he's done and the good relationships he had with people, and then when you flip the book around, um, it was—I I, I don't think it was called Bad Night, but it was—it it was the opposite. It, it yeah. told all the dark stuff about Bobby Knight, and so even—even even after having read all that stuff, um, I, one of the things I gleaned is that anybody that sends him a letter, he sends them something back. Oh, and and, and so I thought, well, I'm going to do this, and so when I was like. 26, 27 years old and, and still pretty early in my coaching career. Uh, I sent him a, a note saying, you know, I'm a, I'm a young head coach. I've always admired you. And um, he did send a letter back and I think a media guide or something like that. So tr- true to the, the reputation. Um, but all that being said, this was really difficult for me to watch. And it made me sad. Yeah, Because, um, you know, it does reveal – a very dark side of him that I, th- I think a lot of us knew existed, but it's it's something that those of us that have admired Bobby Knight try to push aside and forget about. This just didn't allow you to do that.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, hot take, Carl. We're gonna we're gonna start out with a hot take on my end of things. Is Bobby Knight the ultimate sports version of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, as they referenced a couple of times in the documentary?
0: Well, I mean, I guess uh, I'd have to rack my brain to think if there's anybody that would, would compare. And I suppose uh-huh. there's probably some football coaches from the 50s and 60s, like a Vince Lombardi type or sure. something like that, that mm-hmm. would probably fit into that category as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's because Bobby Knight was the vestige of that 1940s, 50s, 60s style coach. Yeah. Where, you know, the authority figure was never questioned. Mm-hmm. And and they could really do anything and and get get away with anything they wanted, and the players and the parents of the players would never second guess that coach.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so he had the luxury, and maybe that's not the right word, but he had the luxury of behaving that way for most of his coaching career. Yep. And then as times evolved in the 1990s and early 2000s, he never changed with it, yeah. and and it caught up to him.
1: Yeah. I uh, I'm trying to think, you know. I, I think you know, as a kid growing up in the '80s, a lot of our coaches uh, idolized the Bobby Knight type, the the Lombardi type. Those are the the, the two big ones. Uh, I, I think one of the differences, and again, uh, Lombardi was dealing with adult men. Uh, Coach Knight's dealing with uh, young, still, I guess we'll call it still maturing. Men, uh, young boys, if you will, on the brink of adulthood, and I and I think one of the things that uh, that was a difference between Lombardi and Knight is they were both loud, they were both at times obnoxious, uh, driven. They were winners. They were uh, great coaches strategically, understood the game. Uh, both very simple. Uh, you know, was it the Lombardi ran the power sweep. Bobby Knight with the motion offense and the basic man-to-man defense and and, and those type of things. But I, I do think the one major difference between the two guys is Lombardi always respected his players as men and, and to my knowledge, never really crossed the line the same way that Knight um, kind of drove away players in droves uh, or not, not in droves, but he drove away a lot of players with his style, and you know, just could not, you know, just just had a hard time. If you're not with me, then get the heck out of here. Whereas Lombardi didn't quite have that, and I and I understand that it's, it's a different situation. You're dealing with professional contracts and things like that, but uh, it, that's kind of a big difference between the two guys. I mean, what what do you think of that, Carl? Just off the top of your head?
0: Yeah, as you were saying that, it, it made me realize. You know, Bobby Knight, because he was an old school guy, he insisted on people treating him with respect. Yeah. But it's fair to say he didn't always treat people. He didn't reciprocate that. Correct. Right. He he, he didn't show it uh, in return. And I think maybe one of the best examples that was really visible to all of us, even throughout, even when we didn't know what was going on at practice, um, is his combative relationship with the media. Yes. You know, I mean, he he was never respectful towards media members. And and in fact, um, well before we saw a recent president kind of denigrate the media, Bobby Knight had been doing it all through <laughs> his career. Very you know, true. He, he, yeah. he was the original.
1: Yeah. Um, I agree. And and that was one of my top thoughts as well, Carl, is, is for a guy who demanded respect and treating people the right way. And being honorable, uh, he he did not do that to a lot of people, and mm-hmm. and I know one of the things, and and again, Carl, I'm not perfect, but uh, you know, I always. Try to be conscientious of if I'm going to talk the talk, I got to walk the walk. And if I'm going to say that we're going to treat officials with respect, for example, uh, with my players, then it's up to me to treat the officials with respect, um, you know, and so forth and so on. And I think probably more than anything else, say what you want to about what happened in practices or in the locker rooms or things like that. But just a lot of the stuff with the way he treated uh, Miles Brand, the president of the university, uh, or, or Stuff like that. But I also read a story, Carl, where uh, the wrestling coach was doing something. He was like jogging laps around uh, Assembly Hall, and Bobby Knight got mad at him. He yelled at him. And so the wrestling coach from Indiana University came down and basically kicked the crap out of Knight, and Bobby Knight really? never messed with the guy ever again. And it's kind of that's the old, <laughs> and, and I don't know how true that story is. I read it somewhere. Um, that's the old schoolyard bully. Of mm-hmm. of that type of thing and and that's where I have a hard time uh, with, with I respect Bobby Knight and the way he was able to get the more uh, you know more out of less when it came to talent a lot of times. but but stuff like that makes make it's hard for me to really respect him in the way that his numbers deserve to be respected.
0: well, when you when you say that you know you respected him, uh, this is one of the things I wrote down, and I I've, I've felt this for a long time. When I watched his videos about the motion offense and, and then how to attack zone defenses and things, I think he's a terrific teacher of the game. Yeah. Um and, and I, you know, I think a lot of his players, even some that say that he was abusive towards them, acknowledge that he really mm-hmm. understood the game and could teach it. Yep. But I'm also reminded of a quote from Phil Jackson, uh, that I think pertains to Bobby Knight here. And and that's anger is the enemy of instruction. Mm-hmm and And I think that Bobby Knight let his anger get in the way of his teaching, yeah in, in a lot of circumstances, and you know I th- again I think with uh, generations in the past in the fifties sixties, they understood they said well that's that's how my dad talks to me, that's how my teachers talk to me and and it didn't impact them in a negative way, like maybe it did kids in the eighties and nineties mm-hmm. um But, yeah, anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, by the numbers, again, you know, the good night, bad night, the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, the good stuff. You know, 902 and 371, three national championships, the last undefeated team in 1976 at the Division I level, five Final Fours, the 84 Olympic gold medal, uh, maybe the greatest amateur basketball team ever assembled, uh, a 98% graduation rate uh, for his players that stayed four years, you know. Uh, But then you have – 38 transfers in 26 years before the transfer portal was what the transfer portal is today. Um, the chair throwing incident, um, the uh, you know, what he said to Connie Chung about uh, <clears throat> rape, um. You know, the book, A Season on a Brink, uh, which is a great book by John Feinstein. It's an old book. It's from, what was it, 86-ish or something. It was the year before they won the 87, so it had to be 86, yeah. Uh, John Feinstein, if you have a chance to read it, read it, folks. You know, and, and so many other things that it, his, his, uh, his legacy is so, is, is it safe to say, Carl, his legacy is one of the more complicated legacies in basketball?
0: Well, yeah, because I, I think, you know, when you look at all the coaches that are top the wins list, guys like Dean Smith or Shischi, I mean, there's there's probably a little controversy in every coach's past. Sure. But not to the extent that we see with with Bobby Knight. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it, it, does it put an aster asterisk or a? A black mark next to his name in the record books. Yeah, I think it probably does for a lot of people.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and then, you know, again, that's that's tough for me to acknowledge mm-hmm. as as somebody that was really a huge Bobby Knight fan, and and to a degree still am. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll acknowledge that. That I, while I I admit that uh, some of the things that he did cross the line, um, I'm I'm not going to dismiss what I consider a lot of really remarkable and good things too. And, and mm-hmm. I mean, if one another thing that I wrote down as I watched this is, and I said, I've never met him, but I know Bobby Knight.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's a great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I
0: grew up with guys like him uh-huh. as teachers and coaches, friends of my dad, friends of my grandpa, you know, because these were guys that were of the forties, fifties and sixties. Yeah. And that kind of rough on the edges, exterior and, a lot of profanity and kind of that tough guy approach and and so that's why i think you know for me i was never turned off by a lot of that bobby knight stuff mm-hmm. because I've, I've known guys like that my whole life mm-hmm.
1: now, now you, you grew up in minnesota didn't you carl
0: Oh, no, I, I grew up in uh, Mitchell, South
1: Dakota. Oh, South Dakota—that's right. So, so yeah. you're, but you're within a stone's throw of Big Ten country. So, oh, yeah, you yeah. saw a lot of Indiana basketball growing up, and maybe in an, an Iowa kid, we saw, you know, his, uh, Bobby Knight year in year out. You know, it was always a big game when Iowa played Indiana, uh, so forth and so on. As as a as a young kid, when you were 10, 12 years old, did you kind of have that same impression of Bobby Knight?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, and even, I mean, you talked about the chair throwing incident. I mean, where I grew up, that kind of stuff was celebrated. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't discouraged. Yeah. Um, you know, our, our head high school coach drew a lot of comparisons to Bobby Knight and, and was, I guess, if you measure, measure it by championships, even more successful. Yep. Um, and if he didn't get, you know, four, five, six technicals a season, people thought he didn't care enough.
1: So, you
0: know, I mean, that, that, that was just kind of the atmosphere I grew up with. So I when I saw Bobby Knight's antics, I thought, that's awesome. That's yeah, the way yeah. it should be. That's the way it should be.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Coaches are absolutely loving are taking over a new program booklet. As many of you know, I spent two years outside of coaching. And during that time, I hung a note card in my workspace at school that said, strip the house down to the studs. I took that time to really rethink and reorganize my thoughts on what it takes to run a transformational program. As I prepared for the possibility of coaching again, I organized these thoughts into this 96-page booklet. How much do I trust this booklet? I used this booklet as I went on interviews to help sell myself and my vision for what my new program would look like. If I'm using it to sell myself, why wouldn't I recommend it to you, my listeners? This booklet will help you look at any part of your program no matter what stage you're at in your program, and help improve it in some way. It's all yours for only $15, which includes shipping and handling. For more information, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. All right, well, hey, let's let's start diving into some of the categories here. And again, sometimes with the documentaries, they don't fit perfectly. But uh, let's see where we go with it. All right, Carl? Um, Sure. How often should you rewatch this documentary?
0: Well, I think it depends on the kind of coach you are. Yeah. <laughs> if you're a if you're a coach that I think probably does things the right way and and put your kids first and you know all the kind of stuff that we aspire to be, once is probably enough. <laughs> um, it's it's not it's not a feel good story. It's it's not something that you know motivates you or lifts you up. Mm-hmm. That being said, if you're kind of more of that old school guy um, that's a, a yeller and a screamer and a stomper and and that kind of thing. It might be good to watch every now and then just as a reminder that you know you don't want to cross that line there which he did. Yeah. And and I, I think you can still be animated, I think you can still be demanding, but you know, you got to be careful that there's a line you don't cross and yeah. this is a good reminder of that.
1: Yeah. I had I I honestly I had once a year uh just as a reminder of you know, I, I think now these are these are two very very different scenarios. As I say this, Carl, um, and, and, and I'm aware of it, but you know, two of the legends of our childhood in college athletics, uh, Joe Paterno and Bobby Knight, had unglorious endings to their runs at their original schools, and a couple of things that those places had in common: uh, small, just college towns, uh, kind of isolated from. The big media spotlight. Uh, these these were, you know, like I said, Bobby Knight was more powerful than the governor of Indiana in some places, you know, type of a thing, and and I think, you know, it's a cautionary tale of at times. Uh, having too much power, having too much sway, having too much influence, and thinking that you are, you know, as the old saying goes, that you're above the law, that there are certain rules that don't apply to you. And I think Bobby Knight's story is a good reminder to all of us that no, you know, none of us, uh, regardless of how successful we are. And and again, it was, it was okay for Bobby Knight to... You know, for for all intents and purposes, kind of act like a jerk for about twenty five years. But when he wasn't going to Final Fours and winning national championships, (laughs) nobody wanted to put up with Bobby Knight's crap anymore. And and so, just I think it's important for us as coaches to remember that uh, we we are we have to have the same we should have the same type of behavior when we're twenty five and five as we do when we're five and 25 and have that humility and have that respect. And I think that's a great reminder for all of us. And, and as dark as this documentary is, I think it's a great reminder for us in that regard.
0: Yeah. I, Bobby Knight ended up showing a remarkable amount of hubris and, and that caught up to him and, and was ultimately the end of his coaching career, at least at Indiana. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I agree with everything that you said there.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, Favorite scenes. I've got one, two, uh, three, four, uh, I got about four or five of them here. All right. And, and I'll go through mine and we'll see if any of yours match up. How many do you have, Carl? Well,
0: I'll be honest. I couldn't write a favorite scene cause it was all so sad. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I, I, you know, I, yeah. I, I think of a favorite scene as, as something that, you know, makes me say, wow, that was, that was really neat or that was mm-hmm. inspiring mm-hmm. or, or that, that made me laugh, and mm-hmm. there was just none of that okay. in, this, in this
1: documentary. Uh, okay, so how about we call it, uh, for this documentary, uh, scene that we found most interesting? How about that okay. or something like that? So, yeah. uh, so I had, um, talking about Luke Wrecker, uh, the, the scene with Luke Wrecker transferring, and he was kind of the, the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back in a lot of ways. Um, and then, of course, you know, as an Iowa kid, I remember Luke Recker leaving Indiana and going to Iowa, and you know he went to play for Steve Alford, who played for Bobby Knight, and that was the the story over and over again. Uh, I really enjoyed um, learning the background of Neil Reed and his story in high school and how he wanted he just wanted to be. Uh, an Indiana Hoosier I mean he was the stereotypical Hoosier I mean he could he could have been Jimmy Chitwood of the mid the early 90s in Indiana um, and then building on the Neil Reed uh, part of it uh, the store uh, the the game where they're playing Michigan and he's playing with the, with the separated shoulder or whatever. And he's diving on the floor. And of course, Dick Vital's taken on a scale of one to 10. He goes to a spinal tap, 11, 12, 13, you know, as Dickie V does. Uh, that's another one. And then uh, for me, uh, just because one of my favorite movies of all time is all the president's men. Uh, when the mysterious tape arrives in the mail with no return address uh, from Ohio or whatever he said there, and just kind of the whole, uh, woodward and bernstein aspect of finally getting the tape that confirms what happened in practice with neil reed uh that was uh interesting entered you know what however whatever phrase we were going to use for that so uh what do you think of that list carl
0: well i i think you've hit on a, a lot of really good moments in the documentary but mm-hmm. i think if i were to really embrace one of those i think you're right the the part where you see Neil Reed diving on the floor when he's wearing a a sling because of a separated shoulder and he's just laying out for things and taking charges. And Mm -hmm. I mean, the absolute epitome of toughness. Yeah. And, and it, it, I think they did a really good job of making sure that viewers understood nobody here came in with an ax to grind. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. Great point. The, the producer that, did the story and his like executive director at CNN or whatever, whatever this title was, Neil Reed and his family, all of them started all this as admirers of Bobby Knight.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then the more that Neil Reed was around him and the more that these reporters learned, the more they realized, man, he is not who we thought he was. And, and the whole narrative changed.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I loved I loved that. And, and you are exactly right. Uh, you know, Neil Reed nothing wanted and wanted nothing more. He, the whole family up and moved from Louisiana to Indiana to Bloomington, Indiana, just to get a chance to hopefully play for Bobby Knight. For goodness gracious, you know, uh, for sakes. you know. So I mean, so that's that's uh, that tells you that there. So I agree with you there. Um, how about worst scene, Carl, or the scene the scenes you enjoyed the least?
0: Yeah, well. There, there is a, I think, a pretty clear cut worst scene for me. Okay, and and you referenced it earlier, but it was when he was being interviewed by Connie Chung, mm-hmm. and they, you know, they edited it, so I don't know exactly what he was comparing it to, but he he said something to the effect, well, if if you've got to be raped, you might as well sit back and enjoy it. Yeah, and I mean that's just cringeworthy. I don't care obviously today, but even when he said it, yeah. there's, there's never a time that that's appropriate. I, I guess maybe if it's, it's two guys talking in a bar room somewhere, you know, and they're six beers in maybe, maybe, maybe it's a they, accepted, they, they, think, they think, they
1: think it is, but even then it's not appropriate, you know? Oh no.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's just it. But yeah. there's, there's, there's no scenario where that's an okay thing to say.
1: Yeah. Um, any other ones, any other ones that you had?
0: Well, that, that was the one that stood out to me. So okay. I, that's that's the one I wrote on for sure. I,
1: I've got uh, I've got four or five here, uh, um, and and again, a lot of this was hard to watch. Um, the uh, poop on the toilet paper as a motivational <laughs> tool. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that's I mean, are are you kidding me? Um, and and then you know the the one kid I, I forget, uh, you know he said, well, that's just Coach Knight being Coach Knight. And it's just like. St- Really? That's that's oh, that's okay in your mind. You've you've you found a way to make that okay. Uh, I had a hard time with that. Um, you know uh, the the stuff with Steve Alford, and it wasn't in the documentary, uh, but very famously after the ninety-two final four, 92 or ninety-three, where where Indiana lost to Duke in the semifinal. And as the kids would say these days, uh, Bobby Knight ghosted Coach K and he gave him this letter and all this cryptic stuff. And again, kind of he, he expected res- he expected respect from everybody, but then he was very disrespectful to Mike Shashevsky, who had been nothing but respectful to, to Bobby Knight up until that point. And then the stuff with, with Steve Alford and how he, again, ghosted Alford or whatever, however, whatever term you want to. And I hope I'm using that correctly, kids, if you're listening to this um the uh i i found it it was really really hard uh when when the reeds were coming out and coming out publicly for the first time with their uh, what turned out to be confirmed allegations about coach knight and coach knight started saying all these bad things about neil reed and Neil Reed's dad and the family, like, well, it can't possibly maybe look at this kid. He was a pain in the butt at Southern Miss when he transferred. His dad got fired, all this other stuff. And it was always somebody else's fault when Bobby Knight was in trouble type of a thing. That was hard for me to watch. Um, and then kind of the other big one, uh, they had the professor, and I can't remember his name, uh, the the, the academic... Yeah.
0: Maurice Barbath or something like that. Something like that. Or something like that.
1: Yeah, And, and for having the audacity in some people's mind to speak out against coach Knight. Uh, he was receiving death threats and he actually literally had to leave the country and go back to, I think he was from Toronto is what he said uh, originally Toronto or Montreal somewhere in Canada and ended up moving out to the university of Cal Berkeley and teaching there. Uh, I mean, when we are, when we are threatening academic professors with death threats because they dare criticize a basketball coach uh, where are we at as a society? And, and and so those were my four or five scenes that were really hard to watch, Carl.
0: You know, when talking about that professor, and and this was true when uh, Knight was ultimately fired by Miles Brand because there were death threats against him and his wife. I, yeah. I remember Miles Brand's wife was a, a professor at Indiana, too, and she talked about how she had to have a police officer in the room with her when she was teaching, yeah, um, for her own safety.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But Knight engendered a kind of a cult of personality, yeah. Um, that you know, again, I think we've seen in recent years in other walks of life where people fall in love with him and what he's about, good or bad, and then they defend him regardless.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And and we saw that played out at Indiana. Um, People said, "Well, he delivered us national championships, and that's all we care about. So, um, we're going to defend him to the bitter end. And anybody that speaks out against him is the enemy." Yeah. Um, and again, that's not unique to Indiana. Mm-hmm. We, we've unfortunately seen that in other walks of life. Doesn't make it right. Yeah, um, but it's it's not unique to Indiana.
1: Yeah, I, I also had uh, uh, one other uh, kind of worse scene. Um, the way Coach Knight reacted to his, his firing, uh, you know, they told him zero tolerance, and then he has the incident with the Harvey kid, I think his name was Kent Harvey, on, on campus, and they told him don't leave, and he was like, well, I'm going fishing. And it's like, you know, how, you know, the Ducks are lined up against you, Coach. You're a smart guy. You know this. You you can't do these things and continue, expect to get away with it. And then he was upset afterwards saying, You know, I want to tell my side of the story to all this stuff. And, 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 you know, he just couldn't let it go. And and, and even when it was he had been told in in no uncertain terms that you are on a zero tolerance policy and you can't do these things. And then he has an incident and then he blows it off like he like he was, again, above the law. It's like you said, Carl, it's hard to defend him at that point.
0: You know what's interesting, though, is that incident you're talking about that ultimately got him fired, just a a brief encounter with a student walking on campus, or I, I think the kid was actually walking into mm-hmm. I don't know if it was assembly hall or where it was. yeah, but that that moment where the kid just kind of flippantly says, "Hey, Knight," yeah and Coach Knight grabs him by the arm and talks to him very briefly about being respectful, yeah, to me. That was a classic example of the difference in generations. Yeah. Right? Bobby Knight is this vestige of the nineteen fifties where, you know, kids say Mr. and Miss and, and they're always respectful to their elders
1: mm-hmm.
0: and and it irked the heck out of him that a kid would just say, Hey Knight mm-hmm. instead of, you know, Hi Coach or Mr. Knight or, you know, being respectful and and so in his mind, he just he, he was trying to set the kid straight yeah. and, and tell him this is how it is. But again, he never adapted yeah. to how times had changed. He was stuck in the 50s. And um, that was, I mean, he didn't get fired because of that. He got fired because of all the things leading up to it. Yeah. It was just, that was the end of his chances.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back, so to speak. Yeah. So yeah. if you are a coach in the Omaha, Council Bluffs, Lincoln area, Be sure to sign up for the Metro Basketball Coaches Association Coaches Clinic Series to be held at DJ's Dugout at 114th and Dodge here in Omaha, Nebraska. The Omaha Metro Basketball Coaches Association has four clinic dates lined up, September 21st, September 28th, October 5th, and October 12th. And we'll have some of the best coaches not only from our region, but nationwide. If you're interested in signing up for the Metro Basketball Coaches Association Coaching Clinic Series, send your registration and fee to MBCA, care of Tom Crable at Boystown High School, 122 Heroes Boulevard, Boystown, Nebraska, 68010. Registration fee is only seventy five dollars per coach on your coaching staff, and you won't regret signing up for the Metro Basketball Coaches Association coaches clinics. Um, basketball realism, n- not a whole lot of it in this uh, in this documentary. We, d- we don't have a whole lot of basketball uh, played in it, so we could I, I think we could kind of skip that one, Carl. Don't you think? Yeah. Okay. Uh, best coaching advice. Um, I, I think that in the Bobby Knight story, in the Bobby Knight career, uh, he he was a dedicated student of the game. Now, obviously, he had his beliefs, but I, I believe I read somewhere at some point the whole Bobby Knight motion offense stuff didn't happen until later on in his tenure at Indiana, uh, that that was something that, that came out later on. Uh, and so he was continually tweaking and working his system and working his stuff. And, and without a doubt, you like we've talked about, you have to admire the basketball philosophy and the soundness of Coach Knight's philosophy because, as they said, uh, if you really think about it, in those 30 years uh, at Indiana and all the success that he had, the only super duper star that I would say that he had that went on to NBA fame and fortune was Isaiah Thomas. Other than that, that was about it. And and, and so there had to be something in the way that he taught the game, that he was a student of the game, that the way he instructed the game that I think that you can take from Coach Knight's career.
0: Yeah, I, I think all that's true. But when I thought of the best coaching advice, um, in this documentary, it was kind of the things not to do.
1: Yes. Right. Oh yeah. Um, yeah.
0: <laughs> and, and I mean, I'll admit early in my coaching career in particular, when I coached football, I was, I was guilty of some of those things where I'd grab a kid by the face mask and, you know, scream in their face. And, um, or you, you know, you, you grab a kid by the shoulder pads and pull him off the field and, mm-hmm. and, and chew his rear end. And so, I mean, I, I did a lot of those things too, but, mm-hmm. I think as you, as you watch the documentary and you realize how much times have changed,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you, you say to yourself, "Well, it, you could do that fifty years ago. You can't do it anymore." Yeah, and and I think that you know all of us have to be cognizant of that. And then I think the other thing that I would take away from it is, and I you know we've talked about this before on a previous podcast, coaches can be demanding of their players. Yep, but your players also have to know that you care about them. And that you love them, yep. Because otherwise, they just see you as this tyrant, yep. And and you're not going to get anything out of them. Mm -hmm. It's it's not effective. Or you know, another thing I I kind of was reminded of. They played parts of his famous halftime tirade from 1991, yep, where somebody had a, a tape recorder in the locker room, and I mean, again. I'll admit I have that on my iPod, and I would listen to it when I'd be in the weight room working out because I loved it. <laughs> Again, that's, that's the kind of coaching I got growing up, right? I mean, lots of cussing, lots of screaming, and, and I responded to that, but not everybody does, especially kids now.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but anyway, well, when when you hear that, um, the kids have to know that you have their back and and I, I kind of reminded myself what I told myself as a coach is you could really get after kids like that maybe two times a season mm-hmm. and you had to pick your spots because if you did it more than that, they tune you out. Yep. And I think we saw that at the end of the season for the Indiana Hoosiers, they'd go in as the six seed or four seed of the NCAA tournament and they were losing in the first round all the time. Yeah. Because, the kids had tuned him out because yeah. he was always yelling and cussing and screaming.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, and not, not only losing, but getting drilled, you know. Yeah. Just getting drilled. Two
0: powerhouses uh, like Pepperdine. <laughs>
1: and Colorado. Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I kind of had the... You know some of this uh, that you're talking about, and I agree with everything that you said here the last few minutes, Carl. Uh, 100% agree with you. I I do not have the Bobby Knight uh, 91 speech on my iTunes account or whatever. (laughs) I I will I will say that though I I don't have that. So, Uh, but uh, I I think uh, the evolution—you have to evolve. Even the best of us have to evolve. I think that love him or hate him, uh, like a coach Shashevsky, evolved. Um, yep. he, he didn't like it. You could tell he was not a big fan of it, but he evolved. He understood. And and he he didn't completely change, but he evolved. I, I think Izzo is another example. Demanding coach, not afraid to get in his players' faces. He's intense. He has a, a very high level of accountability for his players, um, but he's evolved. He has evolved in a lot of ways. And, and I think that, perhaps more than anything else, is the ultimate failure of Coach Knight. Um, and I, I think, again, uh, and my friend uh, Andy Gurlez said this on, a pod, on, on our roundtable pod uh, the other day, uh, you know, no one is bigger than the game. The game will always be here. And regardless of, of what Coach Knight thought, When he left Indiana, somebody else was going to take over, and and they were going to keep playing basketball games at Indiana, and they're going to keep playing basketball games at Duke this year. And whenever Izzo's done at Michigan State, they're going to keep playing there. You're never bigger than the game. The game is always bigger than each and every one of us, whether we're officials, we're coaches, we're administrators, we're players. And and I think at times, I I think Coach Knight especially, starting in the early 90s, I think – he became a caricature of himself and i think he started to believe he was more of the caricature than what he was as the coach you know and i think that's a lesson to be learned for all of us
0: well yeah he he thought he was bulletproof yeah and for a long time he was mm-hmm. you know i mean there was he had reason to believe that um but you know i as i reference in uh The politics of coaching. There's there's a point in there where I I I think the heading of a chapter or section is trophies as critic repellent.
1: Oh Um, yeah,
0: and 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 it works. Yeah, to a large extent. Yeah, because he had a much longer leash than any other coach would have because he had those national championships. But it doesn't mean that you can literally get away with anything. Um, And and eventually, and, and I mean, I guess because he was enabled by all those people at Indiana and they looked the other way and they allowed him to do those things, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, at some point he must've thought, yeah, I can literally do whatever I want and it's never going to catch up to me. And mm-hmm. then finally it did.
1: Yep. Uh, best lines of the documentary. Uh, Carl, I had, I don't know, looks like about a half dozen or so things written down here. Uh, do you want me to start or do you want to start on this category?
0: Well, I'll, I'll tell you the one I wrote down. Okay. Because I I followed your direction as best line, singular, so I had to you know, narrow it oh, down. Oh,
1: okay. To one. All right. Well, yeah, <laughs> um, okay. Oh, yeah, I got you. It was,
0: it, it was when the the kind of executive at CNN SI that was overseeing the, the story, um, I thought he encapsulated the whole situation perfectly when he said, you know, in the end, what I realized is this is not a sports story. It's a story about power and the abuse of power. Mm-hmm. And and I thought that is exactly right. Yep. this isn't about basketball. This is about the abuse of power, pure and simple. And
1: mm-hmm. that's it. Yep, uh, I like that one. That was that was on my list. Uh, that was on my list. Um, here's some of the ones that I had, Carl. Um, obviously, I, I think it was Frank Deford that said he knew how to do more with less. Um, and you know that's true. That was absolutely true, that that uh, he was constantly beating more talented teams. Um, I think the other one that—and uh, and I think this is true for musicians, actors, directors, uh, politicians— Anybody that is great at what they do, and I'm not saying this is... I don't want to say anybody. That's thats I'm painting with a very broad brusher. There are a lot of people who are great at any given field with what they do. Uh, there was a quote in there. It said, uh, sometimes behind great success, there's some things we don't want to know about. And I, I think that's that was true in this situation as well. Uh, the way you know we admire. I remember when uh, Jimmy Johnson was coaching the Cowboys, and you know he had given so much. He lost his marriage. He barely spent any time with his kids, but he had to chase this thing of being a national champion at Miami, of being a, a, a Super Bowl champion with the Dallas Cowboys, and, and there are certain sacrifices along the way that. Uh, some people feel like they need to give up in order to achieve uh, these goals and i and I think sometimes that's the ugly side of sport, entertainment, politics, uh career driving, and careers, those type of things and, and that was that was one that jumped out to me as well the, um, that was that was another big one. Um, when they started talking about the investigation, one of the guys uh, and I forget who it was said it was like investigating the mob trying to get into the inner circle of Indiana university. Um, when they asked, uh, they were, uh, is it Jason Collier was the, yep. the, the, the big kid that transferred. Uh, they were asking, you know, what was it like for, to play for, uh, Bobby Knight? He said, go rent full metal jacket. And then he hung up is what he said, uh, which I thought was an interesting quote. Um, and then, uh, Oh, that's, uh, Oh, uh, I, I forget who said it. Um, and I think this also sums up Coach Knight as well and why he was in a lot of ways that he was. Uh, they said he was at war with perfection. And here we are coaching a sport that is an imperfect sport that you'll never be perfect, but he was always striving for perfection. So uh, those were some of my best lines uh, from the movie. Um, any thoughts on any of those that I threw out there, Carl? Uh,
0: I think that, that last part, that he was you know, always Pursuing perfection or, or I don't remember exactly how it was said, but um I think he was always an impatient person mm-hmm. but I think a lot of us as we grow older, get even more impatient yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I think that you know that was part of what happened with him too um the The success that he had in the seventies and eighties when when the kids in the nineties were never able to capture that yeah he he turned on them, yeah. Um, he, he was never going to be introspective cause you know, in his mind, well, I've done this before. Clearly it's not me, it's mm-hmm. them. Yeah, And, and I think that was part of why things went South too.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Uh, the, the little, uh. Uh, clip you sent me on Twitter yesterday uh, with Bob Knight in the instructional video with golf uh, that, some of that impatience which uh, even I showed it to my wife and she she giggled a lot watching that mm-hmm. as well she, she thought she at first I was watching it and I was and I had the volume turned up she's like what in the world are you watching <laughs> <laughs> I said well I'm just watching Bobby Knight play golf and she's like oh okay alright I get that then uh, so that was that was pretty funny as well so A pen and a napkin university videos are just another way that a pen and a napkin can help you become a better coach. Our university video library is constantly expanding with topics ranging from interviewing for a job to full court defense to 25 universal truths about coaching. Our university videos will help you round out your skill set as a coach and help you hone your craft. Videos are $10 a piece with bundling options available. To order, you can DM me on Twitter, Send me an email at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com or order from our website, a pen and a napkin.com. Be sure to check out the a pen and a napkin video library. Um, the Dom Pagnotti sleaziest character of the documentary uh, named after our sports agent, Dom Pagnotti from he got game. Uh, who was our sleaziest scuzziest character of the movie? I, 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 uh, Carl, I'll, I'll, I'll let you lead on this one.
0: I wish I had written down his name, but I can tell you his title. Okay. It was the vice president at Indiana university.
1: I think we have the same guy.
0: Okay. And and if you have his name, that's great. But, um, he, he tried to do damage control for Bobby Knight Yep. and, yep. and, and did it in a very political way. Uh-huh. Like, like you would see done, um, by political operatives, and, and that was his background, too. Yep. So, I mean, he, yep. he came from that, that kind of training ground. But, like, when they went to CNN to watch the video, the first thing he said before they even watched the video is, I believe you're in possession of stolen property and we'd like it returned, right? It was never, well, let's find out if this, in fact, really happened. It yep. was, we're going to defend Bobby Knight and the university regardless of what's happened. And, and to me, that's never right. If there's a wrong that's been done, let's acknowledge that and, 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 and fix it. But he was not interested in doing that.
1: The gentleman's name was Christopher Simpson. And he too had my award as the Dom Pagnati sleaziest character in the movie, and and you nailed it on the head. Yeah, you, I, I, they had said in the documentary that he had a background in politics, and yeah, he he has the audacity to walk into that meeting uh, knowing uh, that it wasn't stolen. Yada yada yada, you know. So uh, we we hit that one on the head, Mister Pearson. We 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 both were were thinking in the same wavelength on that one right there. So. Uh, well done, my friend. Well done. So,
0: <laughs> well, I think unfortunately that Mr. Simpson made it abundantly clear. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it wasn't hard for us to be on the same page there. <laughs> yeah,
1: it was a pretty simple vote on that one. It was a really simple one on that one. So, um, we've kind of, you know, we've kind of. Uh, did you have anything else to add? I guess with the basketball lessons learned, we kind of went through. Uh, the stuff that I had written down with that, we talked about best coaching advice, uh, evolving, adjusting, uh, you're never big enough or you're never bigger than the game. That's kind of what I had for that one there. Did you yeah. have anything there, Carl? I,
0: I think I think we've talked that through. So, okay. I mean, when I look at the next point where, how can this film help you win games? I mean, we've touched on that too, but I just say it forces us as coaches to re-examine or evaluate how we treat players. Mm-hmm. Um, and And I think that's one of the the good things that can come out of watching it.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, You had referenced it a little bit earlier. We talked about it very briefly, but I think one of the ways that this game or this game, this uh, program can help you win games is understanding that there is a pace to the season, that it's a long season uh, and pacing your team, Uh, you know, even, uh, and they referenced it um, a couple of times, Coach Knight's teams would get off to a twelve and one start, a ten and zero start, and they would be playing really, really well. Uh, But then by the time they got to uh, the tournament, in a not a great seed, they weren't a two three or a two or three seed or a one seed or anything like that, but a a a six seed. You know where you know you play your cards right, if you know you can get to a Sweet Sixteen as a six seed. You know with with playing pretty good basketball. but they would burn out. and and I think one of the things that I've learned in my career, hard lessons learned, is there is a pace to the season that you can't go from zero to sixty, that you you know point A's gotta lead to point B and point C, that you're going to have to uh, you have to prepare yourself for a bad practice. You're gonna have multiple bad practices throughout the season more than likely. Uh, you're gonna have a game or two where it's just going to be ugly, ugly basketball, and you just hope you can find a way to win on those nights that you play ugly, ugly basketball. And I think what I've learned as I've gotten older is you accept that those things are going to happen. It's not that you want them to be acceptable, but you know it's going to happen, and the most important thing that you can do is figure out how you're going to react to the inevitable bad practice or bad game and not burn your team out and... and. Try to win your championship, whether it's a national championship if you're at Indiana, or a state championship. In our situations, in our careers, Carl, uh, in in January or December, that your your end game is to get your team to be, play the best that they can in the last few weeks of the regular season and heading into your postseason. And sometimes you have to give a little bit earlier in the season in order to get that at the end of the season. And I, I think that's a big thing that you can learn from this.
0: You know, as you were saying that, I, I was reminded of. Uh... A seminal moment early in my coaching career Mm -hmm. um when when we talk about how you treat players and and when to push buttons and things like that but I was 21 or 22 years old and I was coaching I was an assistant football coach at Aberdeen Central High School in South Dakota Mm -hmm. and I uh we, we were we were not having a very good season and I was getting frustrated and to one of our offensive linemen I lit into him and and told him that, you know, boy, that's a, and I used some profanity in there. I said, that's a a bleep stance that you're in. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget the kid paused for a moment. And then he, he stood up and he looked at me and he said, well, if it's a bleep stance, it's the stance you taught me. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, why don't you teach me a different stance then? And it made me realize, yeah, it's on me. If the the kid is, is, is not performing, ultimately it's my job to tell him how to do it right. Instead of just criticizing him, Mm -hmm. am I telling him how to do it right? And I mean, again, I think that's something that Bobby Knight lacked by the end of his career and maybe, maybe throughout, but, um, if, if a kid is screwing up, we still got to look at ourselves in the mirror as coaches Mm -hmm. and, and realize, well, maybe, maybe some of that's on us and thank goodness that kid confronted me about that when I was that age. Cause it helped me yeah. be a better coach. And I never forgot it.
1: Yeah. That's how That took a, that took some guts for that young fellow to say that to you.
0: You know what? What's neat too is, well, and this is where I differ from Bobby Knight. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't hate that kid forever after that. Uh, because he, he confronted me. Um, I ran into him about 10 years later, just randomly in yeah. Minnesota yeah. and, and, uh, struck up a conversation and I told him about that. I said, you know what? I, I still appreciate you saying that to me because I've never forgotten it. And and it's made me a better coach and, and we stayed in touch after that. So, um, but yeah, that's, I think that's the way it should be handled. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, unfortunately coach Knight didn't.
1: Yeah. And, and I think what you could say about that too, uh, Carl, is that you had some sort of relationship how, whatever that was at that time, where that kid felt like he could say that to you, and... well, he could
0: say that because he was eighteen and I was twenty-one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that's, that probably made him feel empowered to to take me down a peg. Where if I was thirty-one, maybe not.
1: Yeah, that, there 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 is some truth to that as well. Definitely, definitely. So, um, motivational grade. Uh, how motivated are you to to hoop or or coach? In our case, after watching. Uh, this documentary, The Last Days of Night. Uh, man, uh, I, I had maybe maybe a C. Uh, again, just such a cautionary tale. Uh, uh just a you know just a, t- a tough watch at times as-, as we're going through this here. Um, but I-, I had maybe maybe a C and probably closer to a C minus or D. It- it's not one of those. Uh, not one of those Jimmy Chitwood type of moments here where you're, where you're feeling really good about the game of basketball.
0: No, I, I, I give it an F because yeah. it, it just made me sad Yeah, as, as somebody that has always liked coach Knight mm-hmm. to, to see all of that, you know, like the old saying, see how the sausage is made. Right. You, yep. you, you see internally and, and you just don't like what you see. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, for me, it was an F for sure.
1: Yep. Yep. Um, MVP of the movie, uh, Carl. Who was your MVP of this film?
0: To me, it's pretty clear, and I'm going to guess we're going to be on the same page on this one too. It has to be Neil Reed.
1: Yep, yep. And we we I don't think we've we've barely brought his name up, but I I think he deserves a, an extended conversation. Kind of your thoughts on Neil Reed, Coach?
0: Well, I, I think he was he was the perfect person for them to to highlight yep. because. He admired Coach Knight just like i did and and wanted to play for him and and then when things went south, um he didn't trash Coach Knight publicly, right? He kind of bit his lip and and in part for self-preservation, yeah because he knew that Coach Knight could destroy his future mm-hmm. if if he were to say anything bad about him, but um ultimately, he was the guy that came forward and said the things publicly that so many other players were afraid to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it, when what his accusations were supported by the video, it, it just, cause he, there was even a time where when he made those accusations, uh, the school dismissed them and said, he's a liar. Yeah. And then the, the crazy thing is even when the video came out, some people at the school tried to say, well, he didn't really choke him. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we all see the video. Yeah. And, and they were trying yeah. to say, well, this actually confirms that he was lying because nobody got in between him and Coach Knight after yeah. he got choked. And it's like, oh my God, it's, it, it just never ends. I mean, if that that was, anyway, that's, uh, Neil Reed's clearly the MVP.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we, we've spent a lot of time uh, talking about Coach Knight and how it was a sad end uh, to his career, uh, and 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 how badly his legacy has been tarnished. But I truly believe, uh, of of all the sadness that was in this film, uh, the last ten minutes of Neil Reed's story, I I think that he died of a broken heart in a lot of ways. Uh, that that uh, he just this experience and everything that that the circumstances uh took from him uh the the love of the game was uh, he said was taken away from him uh because of what happened to him and, and sometimes as they say carl you know just well as i do be careful about meeting your heroes you, you never want to meet your heroes and you you, you know as as a 14-year-old, it's easy to say, I want to play for Coach Knight, but it can be a whole lot of different experience from what you see on TV or during the recruiting process or whatever it may be. And, um, you know, here's this guy who finally found some joy, finally found some happiness, um, and he's married. He's got these two young, uh, beautiful young daughters. And at 36 years old, he dies of a heart attack in the middle of the night. And, And I truly think that he died a premature death and left this family behind, this young family behind, in large part because of his basketball experiences. I I, I have no doubt in my mind that that was a contributing factor.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it took what was already a sad story and then made it tragic, Yeah, right? When when uh, it, they show you how he was, like you said, finding joy in life, a uh, loved teacher and coach, and,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then it ended so suddenly. I mean, it was... Um, it, it made a sad story worse. Yeah. And it was uh yeah, it was tough.
1: Yep, yep. Um all right. Overall grade. Uh Mr. Carl J. Pearson, overall grade for the last days of night. Uh I had I'll go ahead and lead on this one, Carl. Uh I had I had an A minus. I I thought this was a very well put together documentary. It's kinda like watching I mean Terms of Endearment is a really, really sad movie, but you can't say that it's not a, a really good movie. And I thought the way that this this film was put together was done really well. It is a sad story. It is a tragic story on so many landscapes that we've talked about. But for the story itself, when you're going to uh, when you're going to have to put together the story of of somebody like Bobby Knight and so many different angles to it, uh, that I, I think that it's it's much longer than your average sports documentary, but I think it needed to be so that they could cover all their bases to say, you know, here's everything that happened, and and there's no doubt that this is the conclusion that we should have came to, and and like you said, even for, for your somebody like yourself who's all always uh, really loved or not, you know, at at a time you you really admired Coach Knight, it was hard not to. Say that he was really in the wrong by the time you were done watching this. So, for those reasons, I gave it an, an A minus. So,
0: yeah, I, w- I would say a minus as well because, and the only thing that probably keeps it from being an A plus is just the feeling it leaves you with, yes. right? Yeah. Um, but in terms of, of telling a story, laying it out in detail, making sure that you're presenting as many sides as you can. Uh, it, it checks all the boxes, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, from a journalistic perspective, it is perfectly done. Yes. Um, the only thing is that it just leaves you feeling down in the dumps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, but it, it's a story that needed to be told too.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I I I think it's a it's a story that needed to be told uh, in the way that was told, and to get the to To get all the details, uh, because as as they said in the in the movie, this was this was not your average sports story. Uh, this was leading CBS News and ABC News. Uh, this would you know for, for folks that are not our age. Let's say you're twenty uh, 25, 30 years old, listening to this. I mean, this is this is like an Izzo or a Krzyzewski, uh being torn down right in front of our eyes. Uh, uh-huh. You know, Bobby Knight was that famous uh or a john calipari or somebody like that you know uh bobby knight was probably the most famous coach in the united states basketball coach in the united states for two decades and and to to see you know so this was not just a a sports story this was a this was a news story it was an international story and uh I, i thought they did a really good job of putting it together so Carl, uh, do you have anything else that uh, you want to say about the last days of night?
0: Well, I mean, I, I, I'll just say that I appreciate the chance to to talk about it. I guess it maybe it was a little bit cathartic for me to <laughs> to, to, to visit about it and, uh-huh. and get some of those things off my chest. And yep. I'm still I'm still wrestling with the, some of those internal demons of mine. That I, I always liked this guy, but I know he's. Uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, an awful person in, in some ways and, and how do i reconcile that so yep. maybe you saved me some some therapy sessions i don't
1: know <laughs> just put it on my bill carl just put it on my bill so yeah. uh hey i i would be remiss i i know you're 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 uh, still fighting away here and we've stayed in 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 some contact here over the last few months just for uh folks uh you know as much as you're willing to share carl how, how are things going on the health front here
0: Well, they're, they're still going, Uh um, maybe not always in the direction that we want, but, Uh um, they're going and we're going to, going to keep fighting and, and do that as long as we can. Yep. I'll just leave it at that.
1: Yep. Well, you've got a friend here in Omaha, Nebraska, that's thinking about you a, a, a lot and, uh, you know, just over the last uh, year or so, in the in the communications we've had, uh, I've really enjoyed getting to know you as a, as a person, and and I do consider you a friend. And uh, you know, uh, just uh, just been thinking about you, and, and and want you to just keep fighting the fighting the fight here, and and keep kicking ass here. You know what I mean? So uh, yeah, keep you. on keep on doing, keep on keeping on. So. Um, well, that's it for episode number eight, uh, The Last Days of Night uh, with Carl J. Pearson out of Minneapolis, Minnesota, the suburbs of Minneapolis, Minnesota. I want to thank Carl for coming on here and, uh, you know, hope you folks have enjoyed it. It's a it's a complicated film. It's a complicated legacy, and I hope you've enjoyed our breakdown. Uh, this is episode eight. We've got one more film we've got one more feature film and we've got one more documentary left to go and i think folks you're really going to enjoy them i think you're really going to enjoy the last two that we do so uh hope you've enjoyed this breakdown of the last days of night coaches as always let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time